This is the Shift Podcast. Today on the Shift Daily Podcast, shampoo pills, anyone? What about toothpaste tablets? One grocery store has made the move to be completely waste-free. Co-founder of New Grocery, Valerie Leloup, joins us here on The Shift to chat about how the store works to create a green experience waste-free for shoppers. On Flashback Friday, we take a look at a moment back in time, 1997 this week, Princess Diana's death. We also take a trip down memory lane, of course, about things like movies and TV shows and cars and music of the year. Are you okay with no kids on airplanes? And what about Barbie? It's all part of the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. So many times here on the Shift, I ask, what are you going to do about it? No matter the topic, it could be political, it can be, you know, business, career, life, your partner at home. What are you willing to do about it? I mean, that's just really what it, it's what it always boils down to is what are you willing to do about it? You see, people will say actions speak louder than words. See, I don't really agree with that because it's the words that help us interpret the actions. And the biggest piece of that puzzle, it's not about words and actions only. It's about your will. So what are you willing to do about it? So this is where we come into a store in Ottawa called New Grocery. I've shared with you here on The Shift that there was a season of my life where I stacked grocery pallets in a warehouse. And those warehouses, I will give them full credit for recycling plastics and cardboard and all those things. They take so much out of the system into recycling. It's amazing. What still blows my mind is the sheer volume that these things are are, are sent in, Right ugly peppers at the grocery store. That doesn't make sense to me. Uh, You know, why can't you get them at every grocery store? Because I don't care what my peppers look like when I cut them up and put them in my stir fry. Why is it that I can go get corn in a plastic bag and I can get uh, fruit in a plastic bag and I can get my bread in a plastic bag and I can get my meat in a plastic bag, but I can't carry my plastic bag out of the grocery store. Now, I don't say that from being righteous on this side or that side. I say it from the perspective of things are out of balance. We're not finding solutions that are workable. This one is cool. Valerie Lulu is here, and she is from Ottawa with New Grocery, one of the co-founders. Thank you, Valerie, for uh, sharing some time with us here. Congratulations on the store. Things are pretty exciting for you. Busy, I'm sure. Yes. (laughs) Thanks for having me. So you are a zero waste store. That is the intention. That is the goal. Can you help us understand? um, Let's start with the intention and then we'll get into what does the store look like? Because the way I kind of described it was reusable containers a la bulk barn, but in a a much nicer store with more options, (laughs) kind of the way I described it. So tell me how how close I got. That's actually quite a a good summary. (laughs) Nice. uh, Yeah, the the intention behind the store is to offer our community an opportunity to do their regular grocery shopping without creating the mountains of packaging waste that you usually get when you buy at a traditional supermarket. So I think we've all made the experience, you know, you, you go to the supermarket, you buy your groceries for the week, you come home and you have almost as much packaging waste as product, you know. Um, and this store, really, this store really addresses that uh, because one of the premises um, that... Um, the zero waste lifestyle has, and I'm, I'm going to take a, a little step back here, uh, because the the reason why this store was opened is because my business partner Sia and myself were actually practicing zero waste in our daily life, and thought that this was really really challenging to reduce this particular aspect of waste. But as a principle, zero waste is that the best way to reduce waste is to not create it in the first place. You know, it's not to recycle. You were you were talking about recycling. Oh, you know, don't get me started uh, about recycling. Because, oh. <laughs> no, um, I'm not a friend of recycling, and, and actually, uh, a lot of questions that I get from people is, "Oh, you are you are a zero waster? That means that you recycle a lot." And I always have to explain to them that now I barely recycle because yeah. all the focus is on avoiding waste in the first place. Let's explain that point before you continue. Is that you have to understand um, with a circular economy and being able to reuse, reuse, reuse. <laughs> Um, recycling, look, it works and it makes a difference, but it absolutely cannot be the destination point we get to the amount of energy it takes, the degradation of product it takes. Um, we don't know what's in the recycled product, which we've seen recently with paper straws, uh, and all that stuff. So yes, it helps, but 
in in a lot of ways, it just can't be the destination. Uh, just to clarify for everybody, that's my view on it. If yours is different, feel free to share it. But please continue. No, with the story. I, I completely share what you're saying here. Um, actually, there's a hierarchy, you know, that we need to follow. Um, and recycling is not the top of the hierarchy when it comes to waste management. Great way and to say. And unfortunately, unfortunately, um, the focus has been a lot on recycling uh, in in recent decades. Uh, I, I should say not even recent years, since <laughs> decades. Um, and that's because the agenda was driven by the plastic industry. The plastic industry, uh, of course, wants to sell their product and their solution to plastic pollution is to, is to push recycling, uh, which um, hasn't been very effective because we know that less than 10% of plastics are actually recycled worldwide. And this, the statistic is very similar for Canada. So it's not even you know, a first world problem versus a third world problem right. or whatnot. But we know? feel good about it, Valerie. That's, yes. yay. So how good are we <laughs> exactly. going to feel when we go to new grocery and we realize, oh, there is a way to do this where the goal is zero waste always. That must feel fantastic. You're going to feel, yeah, you're going to feel even better. And and believe me, once you get um, the hang, you it's very hard to go back. So I hear a lot from customers who, who have been with us for years, ever since we opened, and who tell me I could never go back to the way I used to shop. Um, you feel great because basically the, the the way it works is that you bring the packaging in in the form of some kind of reusable container. And the only condition is that the container needs to be clean. But other than that, you can bring a plastic Tupperware. I mean, reuse what you have. You don't need to invest in anything. Bring what you have at, all, at home. If you have a, an old... Uh, uh, tomato sauce jar, you know, clean it and reuse it, uh, a bottle, reuse it. Um, you can even come with with cotton bags, bulk bags. So there's a range of, of packaging that you can take from home. It, they have to be clean. Uh, but other than that, you come to the store, you weigh the packaging, then you buy your product. And we have a very wide range of products in bulk, even things that you would never find anywhere else in bulk. And then you go to cash, we deduct the weight of the packaging and you only pay for the product. You go home, you eat, you consume your, your products, uh, you clean your packaging and you come back. So you're in this virtuous cycle of creating absolutely no waste. So what products, I mean, I think that we all understand from our history with stores like Bulk Barn that you can go there <laughs> and you can get your um, candies and you can get your dried, you know, cranberries or your raisins, your baking supplies, the basics, right? Yeah. Now, in their particular case, you're not bringing your own containers like you are with you. So that in itself is a step ahead. Maybe what's a, pro a product that might surprise us that we can't really get yeah. in bulk elsewhere that we could get at New Grocery? I, I always um, give the example of toothpaste. I mean, you would never think of that, but toothpaste nope, is a product that we, that we sell in bulk. And we sell it in bulk in two ways, actually. Uh, one is the traditional toothpaste. So it's very similar to the toothpaste that you would buy in a tube in the in the store. But it's in a dispenser, almost like a ketchup dispenser, you know, or a condiment dispenser when you're in a in a, in a fast food or in a... Oh, like a, like a hotel in the... Stand, yeah, know, like a hotel like in the morning or whatever. Yeah, you yeah, go exactly. to get your mustard. Yeah. You squeeze it into your jar. Um, and uh, the other option that you have are toothpaste tablets, which is a product that I absolutely love. So it looks like a little tablet and you chew on it and then it becomes a paste in your mouth and that's how you brush your teeth. Um, so these are two products that are completely package free. Uh, so in both cases, you come with a container, you fill up and uh, you feel good about it. Earlier this week, we were chatting with Dr. Sylvain Charlebois. He's from Dalhousie. He's the food professor. And we were talking about water and how mm -hmm. water is so incredibly integral to profit in that adds no calories, adds a bunch of weight to it and volume to your products. So you can sell it yeah. for more. The drawback, of course, is that it's completely avoidable for shipping costs, diesel costs, plastic packaging costs, and so much more. What yeah. I'm hearing here is really, in some ways, concentrated products, um, less water, which any business person will tell you, if you analyze shipping today, your number one heaviest thing is going to be heavy metals and water to ship anywhere. If you can avoid that, that in itself would help in price. Is that one of the integral parts of this process? Absolutely. That's actually a very good point because there's a lot of products that we sell that are solid versions of liquid products. Uh, one of my favorite products is actually the dish bar. So it's um, basically, it looks like a soap. It foams incredi incredibly well, so you really just put your 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 brush, your dish brush, or um, or your sponge uh, with water. You mix it, and it really foams 
really well. You do your dishes. I mean, it's, it's a great product and it's 100% solid. So you're not shipping this water, which is really basically a waste of shipment when you think of it. You're absolutely right about that. Uh, even for the liquid products, um, the we do sell things like shampoo, which we have in a solid form too, by the way, but we wow. also sell it um, in, in bulk as a liquid. Um, laundry detergents that we also sell. Laundry detergent is a big one, right? Exactly. That's a big one for, for waste. Yes, and we sell it as a liquid too, but the one that we sell is much, much more concentrated than the traditional one that you will find in the grocery store, which usually has about 10% active ingredient and 90% water. So basically in a laundry detergent, there's 90% water, imagine that. And what we sell is 70% water and 30% active ingredients. So there's three times more active ingredients per volume. Uh, so that makes a real difference too. Well, we talk about water a lot, right? Um, you know, I've always sort of written that you know, wars, the new wars of the world will be fought over time and water, um, not so much about dirt, right? And um, that that's a big one. I mean, it, look, water doesn't ever get wasted. Like water is water, it stays with us. And it's kind of like energy, that whole energy notion. But it does get processed, it does take electricity, it does take time, it does take shipping, it has to get moved around and everything else. So if there's extra water in your detergent, the water itself doesn't get wasted, wasted. But processing the water, reprocessing the water, cleaning the water, moving the water, everything else. So it really does add compounds to the problem here. Well, even when we talk about water around the world, when we're using it to make the jug look bigger so we feel like we're getting a better deal when we go to the big box store. Absolutely. And, and if you look at the at the big picture, um, one of the biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions is transportation, right? It's 40% of Canada's greenhouse gas emissions. So um, if you if you ship a third less water, um, here you go, the major reduction of greenhouse gas emissions just yeah. there. Yeah. These are all so important. Mm -hmm. um, you must get excited though, hey, when you look at it all and you, right, then you see it all. I mean, because I mean, you're looking at these things. I mean, as you described with us earlier that you, Valerie, went from, you know, trying to live a, a more minimal, no waste life. And now you've been able to create that. Have you ever had to go without like, I mean, the first thing people say is inconvenient, have to go without. Is it like, is that part of the struggle or, or is it just about learning and changing? Uh, well, you know, it's funny because we're really creatures of habit, right? So we're used to certain ways and change is always difficult, even for someone who's open-minded, you know? It's, it's always, there's always a, a, an adaptation phase. Um, but because we're creatures of habit also, that's the, the flip side, the good side, uh, once the habit is there, you stick to it, right? So that's, a, that's the great part. And I've been so used now, I've been living as your lifestyle for six years, um, I'm so used to it that things that might be inconvenient for other people are not an inconvenience to me. Uh, I'll give a concrete example. Some people complain about having to think of bringing their grocery totes to the grocery store because they think it's inconvenient. For me, it's not even conceivable to go to the grocery store without a tote. You know, it's like going out of the house and and picking up my phone, you know, do, do you, are, are there the keys to my car? Or I don't have a car, but <laughs> theoretically, you know, these things that, um, that are so ingrained that you don't even have to think about that. And when you get to that stage where it's not an inconvenience anymore because it's embedded in you, well, then you've won the war, right? It's awesome. So where do you go next, Valerie? I mean, you're, you're presented with a couple of crossroads here. Number one, if you yeah. can inspire people to do their own version or similar versions of this, that's great. You do create competition, but it would fit with the integrity of what you're out to create. At the same time, mm -hmm. um, the more volume you can do in a scenario like this, the, the more accessible you can make it to more people in more places. Is growing new grocery part of the plan here? Um, how do you do that? Because you become faced with a whole new set of uh, zero waste problems if you start to grow and expand the store. Uh, so I, I absolutely believe that this is a concept that is scalable. Um, it is scalable. Not only could we technically open zero waste stores in, in every city and every downtown that has a density that allows a grocery store, obviously. Um, so you can definitely open more stores. But I also think, and um, and maybe that goes a little bit against my interest, but I don't think so in the long term. Uh, you can also think that this is uh, that that bigger grocery stores or bigger chains could learn from us, and there are certain things that they could certainly do to address plastic pollution. At the end of the day, 
I want to solve a problem. You know, I think uh, plastic pollution is a huge problem. I want to solve it. I'm just a small player, and I would absolutely love for some of our practices to be a bit more mainstream. And I think that at the end of the day, we will benefit from it because the worst thing that can happen to our business is to stay in a niche, you know, to stay mm. this kind of business where only um, the super engaged environmentalists go and no one else. You know, I yeah. want our store to be really uh, open to everyone and even people who, are, who don't see themselves as real zero wasters, but who want to you know, do a little something. So mm -hmm. I want to get out of the niche. And for that, uh, definitely, I think it would benefit us if um, some of our practices become more mainstream. Yeah. Yeah. And that's got to be a big part of it, too. Um, you know, that perception of, of what you're going through, where you're going, having an impact. And uh, the way that I would describe it as kind of you don't want it to be you want it to be not normal, but kind of normal all at the same yeah, time, right? Exactly that. <laughs> yeah. So that's a crossroads. This is fantastic. I really appreciate all of this information. Is there a website we can send people to then link people to so they can see more uh, about absolutely. it? Absolutely. So uh, newgrocery.com. And I recommend to follow us on social media, Instagram at newgrocery. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Thank you for this. And I, nice I will pop by you. the store and come say hi. Absolutely. See you soon then. <laughs> This is The Shift Podcast. It was tonight, by the way, almost right now, when uh, I remember where I was when I heard the news. I was driving a heavy hauler 240-ton dump truck in Fort McMurray in the oil sands when I heard on Radio 7, AM 700 CKRD out of radio, uh, Red Deer. You could get that all the way up in Fort McMurray at nighttime. They flipped FM since now. But um, that the news came on and Princess Diana was dead. This was the night. It's been 26 years and it's hard to believe. I remember where I was. Now, I think Jonna was minus five at this point in 1997. Just teasing, but pretty close. Um, how old were you in uh, 1997 there, Jonna? I was uh, minus two, Shane. There minus it is. See, two. it's pretty close. Uh, Demi Knight, how old were you in 1997? I was three. So, were you out partying uh, when you heard this news or no? I was probably staying up later than I am now. You probably um, <laughs> probably were. Um, do you, when do you remember hearing about Princess Diana for the first time growing up? Oh, um, well, I think we always knew of her. Obviously, I grew up in England, so the royal family was massive. My mom was a very big fan of Princess Diana. Doesn't like the royal family, but loved Princess Diana. So mm. I remember she, I don't know if I remember this or if she just told me a lot. So I kind of remember it. Right. Um, we went out when it was her funeral because it was very, it was just a widespread event in England. And we went out to meet up with our family and we were all out on the streets and everyone was kind of out just, I guess, collectively mourning it. Um, I just remember it's like sitting on a wall. Well, everyone was very sad because they right. were kind of playing the, the funeral a lot. Yeah, um, it was an amazing time. And it was such a time where it was like, what? Text message mm -hmm. came in from Trucker Dan says 26 years ago is when the world realized how dangerous media photographers can be if they're left unchecked. The paparazzi, sadly, nobody really listened to the lesson, which I think is accurate. I would like to think that we're more aware of it. But when you look at what the paparazzi was doing back then, and then you look at what's happening today in the world, I would say it's proliferated and, in fact, is probably worse. Now, there's new laws and new rules, but I would say the um, the appetite in the Internet world to go get that one snap of somebody in a compromising position is more rampant today than it even was back then, which was really the cause of this this sort of runaway car crash. I think that's fair. I don't know. Demi, do you ever hear from a family from back home about how wild the you know the royal family news gets is it still like it used to be front page of all the paper controversy no um i don't think it's the same anymore not not from what i know not when i go back my family also doesn't pay much attention to it so they aren't the ones to ask i think right. you find in england you either have people that love it or people just couldn't care less right but it's not on the front papers of the good newspapers it's on the front papers of like you know, the gossip ones where they're yeah. all like, oh, Prince Harry did this. Yeah. Yeah, the gossip rags. Mm. 
All right, well, let's recap what happened 26 years ago here. It's Flashback Friday. We will have fun. Don't worry. This is uh, this is a grounding moment, is it? Uh, that's for sure. Lady Princess Diana Frances Spencer was born on July 1st, 1961, Norfolk, England. Diana married Prince Charles, who was the heir to the British throne, now King Charles, on July 29th, 1981. One year later, Princess Diana gave birth to Prince William, and another two years later, she gave birth to her second son, Prince Harry. As part of her duties to the royal family, she took on many charitable causes and became known as a stylish and personable figure to the public. In fact, that's when she started to take on a life of her own, that part of the I like Diana but not the royal family that Demi was just talking about. Um, after talk of infidelity with Charles, which has been widely accepted to be the case now with uh, the queen consort, which even makes that this whole storyline today because Camilla is the queen consort and Charles is the king. It makes this flashback. This is the first one anniversary of her death since all these changes, right? It just, it makes it more weird and real at the same time. It was 19, um, 96 they divorced in january of 1997 um uh, diana was visiting traveling to help the campaign of banning landmines she started a relationship with dodi fayed which if you watch some of the diana shows online seemed to be very well crafted marketing so it didn't seem to be like a massive departure from what she was already experiencing just months later they both died in a car crash with a high-speed accident in paris she was 36 so what happened? This is a story from ITV as news, uh, news broke of her death. We have reports from Paris that Diana, Princess of Wales, has been killed in a car accident and that her partner, Dodie Fired, has also been killed. They were apparently being pursued by paparazzi on two motorcycles. The reports are that Diana has been killed, Dodie Fired also died, as did the driver of the car. For the very latest, monitoring all the uh, incoming wires into ITN, Tim Wilcox is in our newsroom. Let's go to him now. Well, yes, Dermot, the Press Association uh, announced with a news flash at 4.41, that's just a few minutes ago, that Diana, Princess of Wales, has died, according to British sources, uh, the Press Association learned this morning. That was followed a few minutes later by um, another report saying that Paris Princess Diana dead, according to an unnamed French minister. Uh, that was followed again a couple of minutes later by a doctor, again an unnamed doctor, confirming that Princess Diana was dead. Now, when there's a car crash, people take pictures of the car crash. That's what, you know, lots of uh, photojournalists do. In this particular case, um, there was an awful lot of pictures taken before emergency help arrived. And that was probably the most heartbreaking part of it. Last year, to mark the 25th anniversary of her death, Global News' Anthony Robert chatted with historian Afua Hagen to look back on the princess's life. This is uh, BBC Television from London. A short while ago, Buckingham Palace confirmed the death of Diana, Princess of Wales. <laughs> her sudden and tragic death sent shockwaves around the world. And today on the 25th anniversary, the legacy of Diana, the people's princess as she is known, still lives on. While her enormous influence still being felt in the monarchy and permeating through pop culture even today. Joining us now to reflect back on her life and legacy and how her death is being commemorated 25 years later is journalist Afia Hagen. Afia, we appreciate this. Good morning. So let's talk about this. I mean, it's one of those moments, isn't it, that all of these years later, uh, for those who were around, they never forget where they were. Her life, of course, so celebrated, revered, but also enigmatic. But we can't ignore the circumstances surrounding her death, which even today remain uh, a major topic of discussion. You're absolutely right. It's one of those moments where everybody remembers where they were, where, when they had the awful news of the passing of Diana, Princess of Wales. I mean, I'd just come back uh, from a party with my brother and we actually stayed up all night to watch it on the news. My mum is a huge, huge royal fan, a huge Princess Diana fan, and we were very worried about how we would break the news to her. 
But yes, you know, so much uh, mystery, conspiracy surrounding her untimely death. It seemed like she was in the prime of her life, actually. Uh, Post-divorce from Prince Charles, she was coming into her own in so many ways. And it felt like this was Diana's time. Uh, and unfortunately, her life was cut short at shy before she was even 40 years old. And of course, the documentaries that have been around over the past few weeks, uh, the process, which the HBO Sky co-production um, and Diana Death in Paris, which was the Discovery Channel and Channel 4 production as well. I mean, the latter of those two documentaries trying to shoot down the conspiracy theories around Princess Diana, you know, the white Uno, the white flash, or was she killed and all these kind of things. Whereas the princess, uh, the documentary that has this incredible, really incredible archive footage which tells us the story of her marriage to Prince Charles and her untimely death. And you talk about that, and when you talk about her legacy being, in many ways, her greatest legacy uh, are her sons. Um, and when you talk about the other legacies, focus on that for a moment and and what her life meant to so many people, obviously controversial uh, in so many ways, especially being a part of the royal family at the time. But talk about what she left behind. Oh, definitely. You know, Princess Diana left a legacy of charitable work, of philanthropy. You know, she was the royal, was the first one to sort of get down on her knees at eye level with children. She was a person who crossed that barrier with touching and kissing and holding the hands of AIDS patients, which, you know, no royal had ever been, had ever done before. She brought a real human side to her charity work, to her philanthropy. You know, she was a nanny before she got married. She really believed in children and young people. And that is more than filtered down to her sons, you know, and Harry with the Invictus Games, with Centable, and Prince William with his charity work as well. And I think she was also, you know, she also left this legacy of being a great mother to those two boys. And then let's talk about the fashion legacy. I mean, she was such an icon when it came to what she wore, whether that was her off-duty looks, her kind of uh, luxe sporty looks, or whether she was wearing iconic jumpers with sheep on them, or whether she was in column dresses by Italian designers wearing jewel colors. You know, her fashion statements that she made, and more so after her divorce from Prince Charles. I mean, we can talk about the revenge dress. Let's talk about the revenge wardrobe that she had after her divorce when the heels got higher and the hemlines got higher as well. And, you know, there's people today wearing those um, iconic looks that Princess Diana really mastered in her life, along with that short, chic haircut as well. We have less than a minute, Afia. This is so, uh, so intriguing in many ways, this conversation. You talk about how her death, is it being commemorated in Britain, um, around the world, perhaps even where she passed away in, in Paris? Well, definitely. You've got um, in Paris at the moment, people are lighting candles and gathering at that spot just over the tunnel uh, where the car crashed. At the Kensington uh, Memorial Gardens, you can expect people to gather there later and possibly at Harrods as well. At the moment, we are still waiting for any statements uh, from Prince William, from Prince Harry, perhaps from Clarence House, from Buckingham Palace as well. We're still waiting for those statements. A few, we appreciate this, and I say intriguing because you can only speculate or imagine what she would be thinking with the circumstances surrounding the royal family now, and especially with her son Harry uh, being not really a member, uh, or at least a working royal. All right, so that is a little clip from the passing of Princess Diana on this very day tonight, basically a few hours ago, 26 years ago, with Anthony Robart uh, from Global in Toronto and Afia Hagen. Now, with tremendous sadness, the funeral was difficult, watched by an audience of two billion people. Um, we had Prince Philip, Prince Charles, Prince William, Prince Harry, Earl Spencer accompanied her to Westminster Abbey, where she was laid to rest. These are the bells of Westminster Abbey. They're ringing to symbolize that the coffin of Lady Diana is leaving Buckingham Palace and is en route to the service that will be held at the church. Mourners line the street, numbering in the thousands. Diana touched the lives of so many in her 36 years, and people of all backgrounds take her loss heavily. The tears at her funeral flow with intensity as the crowds come to terms with the finality that this event signifies. 
Though the English are well known for their stiff upper lip mentality, in this circumstance, that mindset is left behind. Today is September the 6th, 1997. It's been a week since the tragic news of Diana's fatal car crash shocked the world, and her funeral service is set to begin shortly. Here, her family. Prince Charles, divorced from Diana for a year and separated unofficially for four. William, wrestling his emotions as the cameras and paparazzi encroach on this most private moment. Diana called him her little wise old man. He's 15. Harry, he's just 12 years old. He always wanted to have a normal life, and instead he has to stand here, stifling his grief. The cortege makes its way down the mall and towards Westminster Abbey. People throng the avenue and throw flowers at the procession. The sound of horses' hooves resounding in the respectful silence. The mourners have come from all over for this historic funeral. The televised broadcast reached 32.1 million people in the UK and 2.5 billion people all over the world. It remains one of the most viewed events to this day. The funeral procession marches on with Prince Charles, Prince Harry, Charles Spencer, Di's brother, Prince William and Prince Philip behind. It was Harry and William's special request to walk behind their mother's casket as it pushed on towards the abbey. What courage. Prince Harry, one beat ahead of the others, eager for all this to be over. The crowds look on solemnly as the family walk past. At Westminster Abbey, the guests are arriving. Elton John, who will sing Candle in the Wind, altered in tribute to Di, with new lyrics including Goodbye England's Rose, Hillary Clinton and Queen Nora of Jordan, Tom Conti, Tom Cruise, Nicole Kidman, Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks. Sting. Princess Diana meant so much to so many. Sean Kidd, Diana's mother, takes her place in the Abbey with Diana's sister, Lady Sarah McCordale. Sean made the powerful statement, I thank God for the gift of Diana and for all her loving and giving, I give her back to him, with my love, pride and admiration, to rest in peace. And now, the Queen. She was accused of being particularly cold in her reaction, or lack of one, to Diana's death. This is one of the few times that the general public has been openly angry at the monarch and her initial refusal to leave Balmoral Castle and return to London to mourn. The Queen was adamant that she should remain with her grandchildren and shelter them from the media onslaught. However, the Union Jack was flown at half-mast even without Her Majesty's presence at the palace. A very rare honour. Inside Westminster Abbey, the Queen walks with the Dean of Westminster, Wesley Carr. The Archbishop of Canterbury has no authority in the Abbey, a peculiarity meaning that the Dean will officiate the service. The cortege continues its journey to the church. The coffin is adorned in a flag with the royal standard. On top, white lilies, Diana's favourite flower. The horse-drawn casket enters the abbey grounds, and pallbearers lift it inside. This great honour was bestowed on eight Welsh guards, and they were led by Captain Richard Williams, the chief mourners following behind. Here, the casket enters through the great west doors, and everyone rises to sing the national anthem. Amidst all the splendour and ceremony, one thing in particular stands out. The single handwritten word on a white envelope on top of the coffin. Mummy. To so many people, Diana was an icon, a legend. To Harry and William, she was a mother. The funeral lasts an hour from 11 to noon and includes a sermon by the Dean, Elton John's piano-accompanied song and Tony Blair's recital of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The casket is carried out of the church. 
and the royal family and guests are ushered out. The pallbearers lower Diana's coffin with the utmost care into a hearse. Finally, Diana, the people's princess, is driven through London to her final resting place. Onlookers adorn the car with flowers as it heads towards Althorpe Park. There are crowds along the street almost the entire journey. It is her family's wish that her burial ground be somewhat inaccessible to the public for its safety. And so, she will be buried in the Round Oval, a small island in the centre of a lake in the park. The lake is filled with white water lilies and is surrounded by 36 oak trees, one for each year of her life. Princess Diana, the crash happened on the morning of Friday, September 1st, August 31st. Uh, and I remember where I was. Do you remember where you were? Flashback Friday morning, September 1st, 2023. Welcome to September, friends. 1997 is our flashback. It was uh, 26 years ago this week, tonight, that uh, Princess Diana did pass away. 1997 was a wonderful year. Demi says the 90s are arguably the best decade to date, mostly because that's her decade of being born. 1994. Mm-hmm. This is very true. See, there you go. There's no bias mm-hmm. in the show at all. None. That's a fact. That's a fact. Not only it was a great decade, I would say that of all the decades so far, that was that was fun. Boy, oh boy, that was fun. Not only was it a great decade as a whole, but 1997 was a big year for Canada. June 2nd saw Jean Chrétien win the second conservative majority, uh, second consecutive majority. Oops, that's not what he was. It was consecutive majority at a time when the Reform Party formed the official opposition. And then two months later, all you Sasky listeners on the AM radio in Saskatchewan, the Saskatchewan party was formed in 1997, um, in the summer of 97. That one's hung on, clearly. Then the worst show in the history of parenting, the worst show in the history of influencing children, and one of the most annoying shows in the history of all time, September 15th, Caillou debuted. You're getting to be a big boy. I'm just a kid who's four. Each day I grow some more. I like exploring. I'm Caillou. So many things to do. Each day is something new. I'll share them with you. I'm Caillou. My world is turning, changing each day. Yeah, see, like Caillou was the bratty kid, and I have heard from so many parents that after letting their kids watch Caillou, their kids turn into little bratty jerks. Anecdotes only. But still, you're surprised by that. Did you like Caillou? Was Caillou your boyfriend? I I don't think we had Caillou in England. I've ne- I'd never heard of it. I was like listening to the, um, what's that, the theme song, though? It was catchy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the only positive, not annoying thing about it. So -hmm. what did you watch? What's your from? Okay, if it's from England, then what's the what's the go to kid thing? Like for us, it was Sesame Street. Well, I think we got a lot of American shows like we watched Recess a lot. Did you watch that? Like the the cartoon one? No, no. No. Okay, but I was I'm older, right? So we had like the Flintstones and the Jetsons. Price is I right. guess, it, yeah, Another it would have been weird watch. if you were watching Recess when I was watching Recess. Well, I would have been in college, so yeah, that was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was already in college when you were born, but that's okay. I don't feel old. I feel great. It feels mm-hmm. awesome. Um, anyway, moving on from Caillou, because he's stolen enough time and the soul's out of too many parents. Um, before we get too deep into the good stuff for the year, Demi has pushed pause on this Flashback Friday for a very special mention to the true phenomenon that changed the face of books forever, J.K. Rowling's Harry Potter Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone was released on June 26, 1997. Did you ever make anything happen? Anything you couldn't explain? Wizard Harry. I'm a what? 
Doctor, we are pleased to inform you that you have been accepted at Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. Okay, I have watched it, I think, uh, most of it. I find it too scary, I will admit. <laughs> it's dark and spooky. You um, uh, scowl and judge me. It's, um, I get chills when I hear Harry Potter. I get chills when I read Harry Potter. I just think it's just, I mean, I it changed the face of books as we know it. It did. And movies as we know it. There's never been a bad one. There'll never be a bad one. And I don't care if people disagree. Harry Potter is amazing. Do you find it weird when you look at Ryan O'Donnell and he's got his glasses on? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Oh. My daughter Callie says. Does he Callie get Harry says, a lot? Yeah, well, like, so Callie think? always jokes whenever uh, I'll be like, uh, who are you talking to? I'm like, oh, I'm meeting with Ryan. Oh, is that the Harry Potter guy? That's what she always <laughs> he says. He wishes he was Harry Potter. Right? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, it's great books. I know that my nephews love the books. They're, you know, of the same age group and and they love it. It was amazing. It did change them too. So uh, full credit to yeah. Harry Potter, even though I find it too dark and scary. Um, <laughs> you do know it's for children, right? I know, but it's dark and scary. It happens in okay. the dark. I don't like scary movies. I don't like that stuff. Watch it in the daytime. Well, it doesn't change the dark, scary castle and the, <laughs> the demon places when they go find the big monster dog that flies okay. through the air thing. I mean, that might be mixed up with the never-ending story, which I did love. Uh, unrelated to that. Anyway, uh, 1997 Flashback Friday. Trucker Dan is going to be very upset with this little stat. 1997 was also the year that the BMW M3 was announced as the car of the year in Canada. Yay. That makes me happy. Now, in the uh, clip for that, in the TV commercial for that, they talk about, you know, this is why you buy a BMW, isn't it? And then there's like this lady throwing herself at a guy with a convertible behind them, and then they make out. So, yeah, that was, those were different times. They mm -hmm. were basically, basically, it was like Axe deodorant in the form of a BMW convertible car commercial is what it was. Times have changed. Let's just say that. Um, flashback Friday, 1997 in sports, Tiger Woods became the youngest golfer ever to win the Masters. It was amazing to see the swing of him at three years old. There wasn't much change. I don't know how many teachers he's had, but you don't have to teach very much when you got a brilliant game like that. Raised on tough love. And his father, always the consultant, counsels Tiger as he heads to the scorer's tent. And for the presentation. I'll be watching you. Tiger Woods, in a moment like no one has ever seen at the Masters, shattering record after record after record. The green jacket will be on his shoulders in just a moment. Tiger Woods being the youngest golfer ever to win the Masters in 1997. Okay, movies. Clueless came out in 1997. Don't think we need to play that trailer again. If you want to vote for Clueless, Demi's mad, you can go to shiftheads.ca on the Facebook group. It's in the list of back-to-school school movies for you to pick, um, as all the Shiftheads will do on that poll. So you can go vote for Clueless and make Demi happy. Um, one of my favorite movies of all time, based on a true story. In fact, we had one of the guys that was part of all this on here, undercover um, guy, on uh, earlier in the year. The movie is Donnie Brasco. He gave him his trust. You gotta get rid of that mustache. Get yourself a pair of pants. Just, just like me. He loved him like a son. Nobody can touch you because I represent you. Keep your nose clean, follow the rules, be a good owner, and maybe one day when they open the books, you could come a wise guy. I'd die with you, Donnie. But he never knew the truth. There's a war going on in that mafia family, and that is where Joe is undercover. Donnie! Come here! Donnie Brasco, based on a true story, and the ending's quite heartbreaking, actually. Um, it gets trailered as being this sort of, like, here's another mob movie. But it's just the story behind it and the truth behind it is quite astounding. Then, of course, one of the best and worst all-in-one package movies of all time came out that we all know and love, Austin Powers. 
1967, an international secret agent was cryogenically frozen in case the world ever required his services again. Now, evil is threatening the Earth, and the time has come to bring him back into the 90s. It's not unusual Allow myself to introduce myself. Danger Powers Personal Effects. Actually, my name is Austin Powers. Danger's my middle name. <laughs> it's still good. Oh, man. Okay, some other uh, movies worth noting. Full Monty came out. Beverly Hills Ninja came out. Titanic actually was released in 1997, but it was in December. So it wasn't the biggest movie of the year that year. Um, Will Smith was with uh, The Men in Black was the biggest movie of 1997. Titanic quadrupled The Men in Black the following year, totaling $600 million in sales. TV shows that we watch. All you shift heads, you'll love this. Stargate SG-1, uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Beverly Hills Ninja, X-Files, all of those along with Drew Carey, a part of it as well. And these are U.S. numbers, but just to give some context to what you assume they make today, versus what they made in 1997 in the States. The highest paying typical job was a dentist at $110,000 a year. And um, the highest pay lawyers were 76 on average. And in the United States in 2010, surgeons were at 224,000, anesthesiologists at 264. Uh, fast forward uh, to today and how much money that they make. So things have changed from way back then until today. Okay, music. 1997 Flashback Friday. Okay, Candle in the Wind. We heard that with the last break with the Princess Diana stuff was hands down the number one song without question. Not a big surprise of the year. Now, she disappeared for a little while, but then she came back again um, and and released uh, some new stuff. And the number two song, which really would have been the number one song if the Candle in the Wind hadn't happen, had to happen, was Jewel. And, uh, yeah, like, I don't know if that doesn't make you feel like 1997 was a party between this and Candle in the Wind being number one and number two. How's that not a party, my friends? I hear the okay. Okay. Maybe that's a bad example. Okay. Maybe that's a bad example. Um, but if you really want to know how much of a party it was, um, then what about this? This has got to be. This has got to make it a party, right? Such a good jam. I'll be missing you, Puff Daddy, about the death of Notorious B.I.G. Okay, maybe not a party either, right? So there's not a lot of party going on here. Okay, uh, we gotta find we gotta find some party in 1997 because it was a pretty good year. Tony Braxton uh, was number four. These are the top four songs of the year in 1997. Unbreak my heart. So, okay, we're going to have to scroll down the list. We're like, we're dying here of songs that, okay. So there was one song in 1997 that's in the top 10. That was pretty wicked. Yeah, there it is. Hey, Mark Morrison returned to the Mac. Then he got uh, sent to jail, I believe. And he said, if I get convicted of this, I'm never making music again. Well, he got convicted. Um, okay, come on. There's got to be some fun stuff here. Um, this was such a good jam, man. I was DJing at Dewey Stevens in Calgary. If you're in Calgary, you know Dewey Stevens. That place was a mess. 25 cent draft night, man. Those glasses went in that machine dirty and right side up and they came out of the machine. No, they went in the machine dirty and upside down and they came out of the machine clean right side up and full of draft beer. All one machine. Okay, Demi, this is your song from 1997. Maybe. There it is. Oh. No? Yeah. Yes. I can imagine little Demi dancing around, right? I did. I was obsessed with Spice Girls. Mm -hmm. And um, there was one other song that came out that has been reported to be the one of the most perfect and best songs of all time. You know, John Lennon Imagine comes up on that list of like the best of the songs of all time, multi-generation. And this song, as far as I knew, was the only one that actually came back and was bigger in the research of being quoted by people as saying one of the best songs of all time. And it was Black Street with No Diggity. 
And to this day, I would say it stands the test of time. Yeah. It's better than Drake, Jono. Right? Okay, so there was a little bit of fun in 1997. There was a lot of dying. There was a lot of sad music. Um, but there was, you know, there was this. Some other notable songs. Hypnotized, Notorious B.I.G. was out. Um, Mariah Carey, Honey. An anthem still today. Um, uh, Freak Nasty, The Dip. Um, that was a stupid novelty song, but super fun. Um, you had Paula Cole, you had Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, It's Your Love, you had Gina G, New Edition, 98 Degrees, Celine Dion, No Mercy, Cheryl Crow, Journey still making music and charting, and then Genuine Pony, if you want to get your striptease on. So, there you go. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you, are you, are you, okay, 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 are you okay with, share your thoughts on these stories that might make you ponder, 877-399-9898, that's our phone number for you to text them in, are you okay with, no kids, Demi, mm-hmm. no kids? Um, y- yes, I'm very okay with that, I'm not mm-hmm. a big kid person, really, yeah. Is it too personal to ask if that's anywhere on your radar one day, maybe? No. It not is even not. a consideration? It it never has been, to be honest. Really, I just, eh? I, I see babies and I just think, oh, what would I do with one of those? Ha. <laughs> that's pretty funny. I, uh, for me, you know, I didn't ever really think about having kids until we had kids. Hmm. Right? Like, for me, it was like, if you had asked me at your age, like, hey, you're going to have kids one day, I would have been like, well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. That was another thing. So I get that. Although I can tell you this. Life doesn't begin when you're born, my friend. Life begins when your children are born. Um, but that's me being a dad. Um, okay, no kids. Not everybody wants to have kids. I get that. You know, Jono, you ever want to be a dad one day? Does that come up for you? Yeah, maybe someday. Uh, yeah, just not on a relationship yet, so don't well, know about that, that again. Well, that, yeah, that does uh, make it more difficult. It's not limiting. Um, but it does make it more difficult. That's for sure. Okay. Well, kids, I mean, for me, I mean, not again, I reckon. I don't think I need any more. That's for sure. The two I have are expensive. (laughs) Now, how do you feel if a small toddler was using the tray on your seat as a bouncy castle, for example, like uh, sitting on an airplane, jumping up and down with, you know, the kid that pulls on the headrest when you're, when you're trying to sleep, right? The kid that throws the crushed goldfish crackers over the course of the seat the ones oh those poor little boogers and their ears hurt really bad when they're you know taking off and landing that's hard that's hard on the kids now everybody feels for the parent on that plane the poor well everybody feels for the parents that are trying to keep the kid quiet nobody feels for the parent that's like checked out and not my problem now this video is from a viral video of a toddler causing a stir on a plane um some news have come, news has come out about planes that should or could have a kid-free zone. Here is that video again. Ten seconds of a toddler standing on the table tray and wobbling the seat in front has gone viral and has started a debate over child-free sections on planes. With more on this, let's bring in our travel expert, Marty Firestone. All right, Marty, you've watched the video, I'm sure, a number of times. What do you think of this? Fired up is too kind a word if that was me sitting in the seat in front of this child. This is just unacceptable, and I don't blame the child. There's only one person to blame, and that is the parents. Who's kidding who? How they could let this go on? Forgetting the guy in front, I don't know. I think I'm hoping he was sleeping because there's just no way you can you can forget about that. Uh, bottom line, it is bringing about discussions about child-free zones, quiet zones. They're calling them rows one through four after business or economy, or I should say business or first class. Now quiet zones. It's just too small a place to think rows one through four. You're not going to hear on five, six, seven, eight if there's noises. So I mean. There's talk, and there's talk about no children 12 or under at all on some flights. No children in first class. Who knows? I mean, this is a bizarre video when you think about it. 
Now, that's got to be hard, and I agree. It's the parents that have to pay for that. The notion here is that passengers flying with Corendon Airlines are going to soon have access to child-free section on some flights for a price. You have to pay extra to keep the kids out, of course. But experts say not to expect the same in Canada anytime soon. A Turkish-Dutch leisure airline announced it will launch an adult-only section for guests aged 16 and older on its routes between Amsterdam and Curacao. How do you say this wrong? How do you say it? Curacao? Curacao. That's how you say it, right? Uh Curacao? I always say it wrong. Curacao, Jono? Curacao. Curacao. I don't know. It was a blue liquor. Starting November 3rd. Um, the zone is intended for adults with children and business travelers who want to work in a quiet environment. The airline said in its news release, it will be separated from other travelers by means of walls and curtains, it says. The zone consists of 102 seats at the front of the aircraft, each costing 45 euros per trip, roughly 66 bucks. Good deal. Seat with extra legroom costs 100 or 150 bucks, 100 euros. Now, this is reminiscent to me of a time that you guys probably don't remember but I know the shift heads will, that they used to be allowed to smoke on airplanes. And in a tube in the sky at 30-some thousand feet, the best part about sitting and non-smoking, and the most important part really was that curtain on the tube of steel in the sky that kept the cigarette smoke on the other side of the curtain. Like, there was no point. The only no. point of sitting in non-smoking meant that the person next to you didn't use the ashtray. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a lot like that. If babies are screaming, babies are screaming, you know? Yeah, you're going to hear it wherever you are. I guess it'll just stop them, like, kicking your seat. I but otherwise, Jumping on your tray, tray, tray table. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to hear them still. Maybe not right behind you, but you'll hear them. I don't know if screaming babies is such a terrible thing, though, right? Like, you get a couple that get going kind of like, you know, when dogs are barking and they all start barking together. But it's usually take off and landing and parents that are working hard to keep the kids entertained. I mean, that's the person you feel for truly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it is what it is. Some kids are going to cry. You were a kid once. I hate to break it to you. You probably cried somewhere and embarrassed your parents. Probably. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure I cried and embarrassed my parents just last month. So, (laughs) you know, these things happen. (laughs) 877-399-9898. Uh, Baby-free zones on planes, would you pay for it? Are you okay with Barbie? Um, I never had a Barbie. My mom wouldn't buy me any. Really? She said, no Barbies for you. She bought my brother a Barbie one time. Okay. But refused to buy me any. Wow. Yeah. Favorites much? I know. How does she it was feel like, to be the second outside. favorite kid? What's that? How's it feel to be the second favorite kid in the family? Oh, my God. It's my entire family, too. My brother is my grandma's favorite by a mile. She doesn't even hide it. She just tells you. Really, eh? Yeah. When he shows up, it's like, how's my favorite? Hi, Demi. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um... I, like Barbies are great. I, I think they've really done a good job at Barbie, sort of changing the the ideas around Barbie and what how Barbie used to be, sort of this sort of quintessential California girl, perfect body, perfect hair thing. And while it's far from perfect, it still is just a doll. And and I think they've done a pretty good job at trying to keep up with you know making Barbie look like um yeah all kinds of kids. I guess is a good way to maybe put that. Now. Uh, put away your wands, Potterheads. Are you still on Harry Potter's kick here? Oh, it's because it's <laughs> yes. Warner Brothers. Okay. Yeah. Harry Potter used to be like the, the big shot in town when it came to Warner Brothers movies. Barbie now is the highest grossing movie for Warner Brothers. Hey, Barbie. Can I come to your house tonight? Sure. I don't have anything big planned, just a giant blowout party with all the Barbies and plant choreography and a bespoke song. You should stop by. So cool. This is the best day ever. It is the best day ever. So is yesterday and so is tomorrow and every day from now until forever. Do you guys ever think about dying? (laughs) This is a bit of a... Downer for the party. My my daughter saw the Barbie movie on Thursday. Has now asked me to go with her to see it. She says it's that good, Dad. You'll love it. So oh, so she liked it. She did. 
Mm. I would like to see Oppenheimer, so maybe we can do that double dip that people are doing. Go watch them both. I don't know. This week, the Barbie movie surpassed Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 2 as the highest-grossing global release in the history of Warner Brothers. Over the weekend, it earned $18.2 million from 12,800 screens in 75 different territories to push its gross into smashing $1.34 billion in ticket sales. To put that into context, Titanic was $600 million. So, it's not, which was 1997, our throwback year. See there? Yeah. Uh, Men in Black was 125 million. So there's some context of the size of these movies for you. Inflation, throw that in there too, but still big. Mm. It's not done breaking records yet. It's still in theaters, and it seems likely that Barbie will soon bypass the Super Mario Brothers movie to become the top film of the year at the box office soon. I hear it's good. I have you been? Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Um, I've heard, I've heard mixed things actually. I've heard it's really good. And then I've heard it's like not what people expected. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it's Barbie. A lot deeper than people yeah. expected, I think. There's a lot more going yeah. on. John, did you watch Barbie movie yet? I did, yeah. I said it before in the shift that I saw it at a drive-in movie theater in Langley. And it was the best movie ever, but really philosophical and really deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, it's a lot different. Did you go in a pink uh, Corvette, though, like you should have? No? no, I just wore a pink shirt, but... Of course. It fits the so occasion. Yeah. Yes, it is. such is the occasion to wear pink to the Barbie movie. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 